All right, we've sadly reached the end of Jude. <laughs> Today we're going to cover the verses 17 to 25, which is going to be Jude's final exhortation and included in that exhortation to these readers, to the believers, is his wonderful doxology. But what we're going to look at just real briefly from the outline is, is this final prophecy that he gives, this apostolic prediction for these readers, and in exhorting them and keeping them in the, themselves in the love of God, and then showing mercy to those that have been affected by these false teachers or in and around this church. And then, like I said, the glorious doxology, which I'd like for all of us to stand and, and read together just as a praise and honor to God. So with that, let's open our Bibles again to Jude. And over the past couple weeks, we've, we've looked at some very serious passages. Jude's accusations, his indictments against these false teachers in this church, their ungodly lifestyles. And it's usually the, these verses 5 to 16 are what give people reason to consider Jude to be harsh or, or carry a negative message. And something that, that, that doesn't maybe not have a, a, a pertinent application to Christians in this time who aren't involved in, in fortunately, with any false teaching in their church. But from the introduction that we saw in the first four verses, and the verses we're covering today, we're going to see that Jude has a significant message and a very strong application to all believers, even for those believers in his time in the early church and especially for today. Because Jude, remember, he wrote to the Christians. He wasn't writing to the false teachers. He wasn't directing this at the false teachers. But to those who are beloved in God, and his purpose in this letter is to provide both the, the reassurance and the instruction that his readers, and I think we are, especially in this day and age, in great need of. So the larger section, this, this considerable ne negative section in this letter, verses 5 to 16, actually is serving the greater purpose of what is in the first four verses, and today in 17 through 25. So let's read Jude. Starting at verse 17 actually starts out in the Greek, you, rather than but, but we'll follow the New American here. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers, following after their own ungodly lusts. These men, these are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building your, yourselves up in your on, excuse me, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, and have mercy on some who are doubting. <coughs> Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. 
Verses 17 to 19 here are the closing of the body of this letter. But we see here that Jude is also making a transition into a new section, and, and he marks it specifically by going back and addressing the readers directly. But you, beloved, or dear friends, and it's, he's actually establishing what they call an, an inclusio, a, a closed bracket from what he started back in verse 5. And much, <coughs> excuse me, but in this section, Jude is both summarizing the, the main argument he's been making and then turns to remind the, the readers and exhort the readers in the midst of, of this stealthy intrusion into the church. And Jude's readers have been somewhat passive in this, the last 12 verses. But here he starts out in these three verses with, with you in the Greek rather than but. And now they're back as the main focus of this discourse. And the first thing Jude calls to them to do is to remember. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not saying just, oh, I need you to remember something that I told you or a name, something just, just casual or, or insignificant. But it's a strong reminder, much like that for back in verse 5, that he's, in, he's invoking their will. He's wanting them to take heart in a way that, that has an impression upon their life. That this remembrance is in both the judgment of the false teachers in verse 5 and now the prophecy of these false teachers. That these foretelling of these sayings and warnings are very much like the ones possibly they heard from Paul in 1 Thessalonians 3 or 2 Thessalonians 2. These words that were spoken beforehand, these prophecies, were spoken by the apostles. And Jude's not referring to some mission, missionaries or, or visitors or messengers, but he's, having the, he's bringing to mind that those who actually served building upon the foundation of the church, upon Jesus Christ, these were those authoritative interpreters, the twelve, Paul, James, perhaps even Barnabas. And while they're speaking as in the past, with this letter being near the end of the apostolic age, the speaking they did was directly to these in the community. That's why he says, they said to you specifically. Now verse 18 gives us the, the specifics, the details of this prophecy that Jude knew of and his community of, of the beloved had heard and knew. And now he's bringing to a, an earnest remembrance but why? Why do you think he would call this remembrance to bear upon their minds now? Anyone? Yeah, just to, just to remind them that this isn't just random chances happening, but just something to encourage them that in, in, this, in that time of false teachers. Exactly. Very, very specific prophecy, but what was happening? It was happening. It was being fulfilled. It's like, wow, we heard this. We were told this. We were warned of this. And we're seeing it happen right now. Exactly. You're both, you're both right. You're right on it. Not only was it given, but it's been unveiled. And, and remember, Ryan, you mentioned last week in closing, we were talking about this. These guys, these false teachers, these intruders didn't come in with a lot of fanfare. You know, they didn't have banners on their T-shirts, false teacher from the university or whatever. They came in stealthily. They crept in alongside of them, much like the serpent in the garden. 
much like an angel of light, giving all appearances of, of being a believer in Christ and maybe even saying the right things, but with just a, such a subtle twist on, on truth that they'd start getting others to think, hmm, maybe, maybe he's, maybe he's on to something here. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take away if this is what you're getting to, but I think just along these lines too with why it was so important that he was mentioning that is I mean, all of us have known people that are in places where you would say there's probably a false teacher teaching there. And they would swear that that person is right. Yeah. They Even if you bring them scripture, a lot of times they'll fight with you about whether or not, no, he's fine, it's not that bad. Yeah. If you could actually say, look, this was even prophesied beforehand that they were going to come in saying these very specific types of things they might listen if you could take right. it back to what that was already mentioned. In the yeah. And how much more so today? Yeah. You know, they were in the early church, and we don't, Jude and others don't give us the details of how infiltrated or how common this was, but, you know, it was happening. It was real, and this is going on, you know, especially in our time. Somebody else have a question? I thought I saw. Okay. Just briefly. Yes. And not so much what they say, but their lifestyle. Oh man, he he can do that. He's a believer. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing that. Whatever that may be, but in in its in its core, it's a lie. It it's against the Lord. It's against truth. And that's what they were doing. Their whole their not only what they said, but the way they were living was against the authority of Christ and all that He said. Yeah, you're right. Anybody else? It was good. Yeah. Right. And thank you for the segue because I'm going to hit that. Yeah, because no, it's that's good because no, these were definitely purposeful intruders. You know, they had their agenda because they wanted to be autonomous. Yeah, I understand the truths of God, but I still want to live the way I want to live. And I'm going to take down not maybe not intentionally willing to take people down, but by their lifestyle. The weaker in the faith may say, oh, yeah, if I, he can do that, I can do that. I'm going to hang out with this guy. Yeah. But disregarding the truth, disregarding the authority of Christ and the gospel, you know, that was their whole heart. That was where they were. They were, they were not believers. You know, they thought they were. See, that's why Jude didn't address them. He didn't, he didn't say, he doesn't tell these believers, okay, now I want you to go after these guys and tell them this. And we're going to get to what Jude tells the believers to do, which is quite interesting. Yes, <laughs> saw that hand. Yeah. But we know the majority sitting 
even being reproved, rebuked, corrected, and also it's because they're hearing what they want to hear. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's pleasing to the flesh. And so these false teachers, you know, that's how they pray. Yeah. And I think that's what Jude, why he expresses in such endearing terms of dearly beloved. You know, he, he's got his compassion as a pastor is looking out for whatever level of sanctification you're at, but probably especially those that are young in the faith that are being pulled away because he's heard about something going on, obviously. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it is sad that they're sitting underneath that, that false teaching, but you know, we are, we should be discerning. We should be studying the scriptures to show ourselves approved, workmanship, yep. you know, and we not be ashamed, right, and dividing God's word. So we, we are responsible. Absolutely. And this warning is going out for them because people follow their shepherd. You know, you'll follow your shepherd, whoever you you follow, you'll both end up falling into the ditch. So it's a stern warning for all of us. Yeah. Exactly. Amen. But Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and follow right. me and they'll follow one another. So that's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's why Jude's words to the believers were, these guys that are leading people astray, look how sure and destructive their judgment is. This, this is a sure thing that's going to happen to them. I promise you. Now he's going to get to what you need to do as believers in this. Yes. Oh. I was simply going to reiterate on what you said. And of course, that's right. And your your segue into which is really good into what what we're going to get into. So, amen. Yep. Anything else? This is good. <laughs> okay, you're on the right track. I know what I'm not teaching a bunch of <laughs> kids here, man. This is good. It's, it's encouraging. So, um, Jude wraps up this section again with one of his his accusatory, you know, derisive terms and saying these men, these are the ones who who come in and cause divisions. They're their worldly mindedness, they're they're devoid of the Holy Spirit themselves. And this is this is a nail in the coffin to them, calling them completely unspiritual without the Holy Spirit, having a spirit of their own thinking, their own creativity, saying, I have these heavenly visions and what I know to be true, deceiving and leading people aside, Jude says, No, they're devoid, they're empty, they have no spirit of God within them. Okay. All right, so now, verse 20. Oh, I've been waiting for this for four weeks. This is good. <laughs> this is wonderful. So here, here he completes his, his condemnation of the false teacher and, and everything that they stand for and all that Jude opposes. And now he turns back once again to his beloved friends and his readers, and he, he proves out or, or finishes the exhortation that he started back in the first four verses. And his, his proof of the fullness of his exhortation, we, we need to include verses 1 and 2 in it because it both introduces and establishes that causal relationship that we're going to see in a minute. And you guys have already alluded to it, but we're going to dig into it a little bit deeper. And 
it's interesting, like I was saying with Keith, Jude doesn't instruct the readers, his beloved, on how to deal with these false intruders. He doesn't say, kick them out, okay, excommunicate them, get rid of them, which in a proper church discipline format would likely happen if they're that evident that we would, we would go to them and deal with it in that matter. But Jude doesn't address that. He rather focuses on what they themselves should do in their relationship with Christ, okay? Individually and corporately. This has to be established first if they're able to help those who've been led astray, who've been, um, it's absolutely instructive for anyone facing false teaching, especially in our day. Does anybody know how the Secret Service inspects for false currencies? How they train them? I, I figured you would. <laughs> you, can, you can say, Wally, go ahead. They study the real Exactly. Yeah. They don't study every possible counterfeit denomination or way or means and stuff. They study the true dollar bill, its feel, its texture, its tilt, its hologram, the ink, everything. And this is what Jude's getting at here. Just as he's instructing these believers, we're instructed too that we need to focus on the truth of Christ. And and even in, in our attempts to try to search out and understand all the potential errors that are out there in this day and age, it's going to be the truth and the power of Scripture that's going to change our thinking, that's going to renew our mind so that we can discern not only what's good and acceptable regarding the will of God, but we're going to pick up on these little nuances. And, and I can anticipate a question for that, so hold it right now, and I'll, I'll definitely answer that later so that we aren't pouncing upon younger brethren. But it's also the Spirit's work and the Father's love that, that will enable us to reach out in love and mercy to those who may be caught up or captivated by these false teachings. Now, before we look at verse 20, we've got to go to verse 21. The reason is, from, from the grammar, this is where the imperative is. This is where the commandment is, where he says, keep or be keeping yourselves in the love of God. And with that command in verse 21, we have two, two instrumental or two supporting participles that are the means by which these readers and, and we as beloved in God, are to keep ourselves in the love of God. And that is to be building yourselves up or build yourself, build upon your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, Jude uses a, a metaphor of building something upon a foundation. And this is the idea here that we are to be building upon our most holy faith. And to build upon faith's foundation is, is in order to keep us and preserve us in the love of God. And we find this throughout Scripture. There's a lot of references to, to building, um, to foundations, um, to cornerstones. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about Christ being the sure foundation. Um, Ephesians 2.20 talks about Christ being the chief cornerstone. The chief corner, the cornerstones in building processes are the true stone that all other measurements are taken off of, all other reference points are made from. And a foundation, which Christ is both the foundation and the cornerstone, can kind of be 
seen in, in modern day building, when they get ready to build a skyscraper, they don't just pour concrete on the surface and build up from that. They go down and dig, and what they dig for is they find the bedrock, a, a platform of enough bedrock to support enough of uh, an area to build a foundation upon and go up from there. And that's the same spiritual reference we have here is Christ being that, that bedrock and that chief cornerstone that we can build upon and measure everything from. Much like the reference in Matthew 7, 24 and 26 about the two men, one who builds upon the sand and one who builds upon the solid rock. Okay. Peter even calls the believers and these readers in Jude the living stones in 1 Peter 2, 5, being built upon in a spiritual house. <clears throat> and what we are building upon is none other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as this faith in Christ has its center of the body of teachings, the doctrine of the church, and this is what we saw also in verse 3, that believers are exhorted to contend for the same faith, for the same doctrine and truth. So the first way to remain in God's love is to continue growing in an understanding of the gospel, the teaching of the gospels that are handed down to the, the saints at conversion. They're inexhaustible, and it's faith alone that is the most holy, that is most holy because it comes from a most holy God. And these believers, as well as us, can experience love, God's love in greater measure as the eyes of our understanding are fixed upon Christ. One uh, French commentator stated that true believers experience God's love as their understanding of faith increases. And this is also why we pray that the teaching and preaching of God's word may edify the brethren. Edify carries with it the meaning of, of building or building upon, building a temple. It's where we get edifice from, the structures that are built, are built upon a foundation. You can see as we are being built as a spiritual house, as living stones being fitted together. This is what Jude is referring to. Now, his second exhortation for the readers is at the end of verse 20, to be praying or be praying in the Holy Spirit. And scripture reveals this concept to us in the Gospels, John 4, where Christ is with the woman at the well. And he tells her that God, her that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And Paul also writes of this in, in 1 Corinthians 4.15, where he says to pray with both the spirit and the mind also. But his, his reference in Ephesians 6.18 is best related to what Jude is saying here. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for the, all the saints. Now what Paul says and what Jude is saying to the readers is that they're praying in the Spirit or being enabled and helped by the Spirit is in line with the usual sense of doing something in the Spirit. And what I mean is best to describe this is to look at, at scriptural references here. Um, Mark 12:36, David's prophecy was produced by the Spirit. Acts 19:12, travel of the apostles was directed by the Spirit. Romans 14:17, joy is produced by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, speech is controlled by the Spirit. 
Ephesians 5.18, being controlled by alcohol versus being controlled by the Spirit. This, this all means that it, and it refers to prayer being controlled and guided by the Holy Spirit. Spirit-inspiring true prayer in the believer is a large theme in the New Testament. And these readers, and in a larger scope, all true saints, cannot keep themselves in the love of God without a fundamental dependence on him by petitioning him in prayer. Our love for our Heavenly Father cannot be sustained and much less increased unless we have a relationship that is nurtured by prayer. Any questions so far? Okay. Yes. in humility and recognition that I can't always make those utterances or, or fully express what I need to say, but by scripture I understand that, that the Spirit of, of God can help take what's groanings and, and yearnings in my heart and relate that to the Father in ways that I can't express by words. But also, yes, yes, yes. And also by, <clears throat> in that humility, just asking for help. Help me in what to pray, who to pray for, what to pray for, and also how to pray, you know. And I, th I think that's has to be worked out. I want to sound dogmatic here. has to be worked out individually, you know, in our personal prayer lives. And then from there, it, it, it gets more fully expressed in the body as we gather together for prayer. But... You know, that's, that's where our intimacy is. I forget how the saying goes, but, you know, a man alone in prayer with God is, is how that man really is, you know. So he sees our heart. Yes. Exactly. If something is very clear in Scripture that is revealed as God's will, we should pray in that manner, you know. Christ gave us his example of prayer that, you know, may your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. He expand that, how is it done in heaven? Pure obedience, joy, thanksgiving, you know, full allegiance and trust in God. You know, may that so happen in, in my life and others' lives, you know, as we, we seek out to do what he wants us to do, whatever the the decision, the direction is. Okay, good. Anything else? All right. Okay, in verse 21, Jude goes back to the, the central imperative or the command here, the exhortation to keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, it's, it's really cool. I, I enjoyed this part digging into it because this is something deliberate here by Jude under the direction of the Holy Spirit. These first the, the verses in 20 and 21 are tied so well to the first three verses of this letter. We, we kind of heard this last week from Joseph. In the first three verses, I want to mainly focus on verses 1 and 2. These are the opening theme, and from an initial review, when we look at verses 20 and 21, it seems like Jude's just kind of repeating himself here, okay? But there's a shift. There's an important shift here. The first verse says, To those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. This verse carries with it the indicative mood. Anybody remember that from last Sunday sermon? 
this is the foundational truth to those who are the called. This is the completed work of God that establishes a relationship of believer. And this is from where they're to derive their life and ultimate reward at the revelation of Christ. In other words, the indicative is what has been established for the believer in God. They are beloved by God. They've been called. They are beloved by God. And they're kept for Jesus Christ. Now in verses 20 and 21, we're seeing the imperative. You readers in this redemptive spiritual position, you keep yourself in God's love. This is nothing other than divine action and human responsibility. And both are gloriously stated here that, that Jude gives in, in this, his little brief sermon here. But I was thinking of Christ's commands in John fifteen nine. He says, now remain in my love. Very strong imperative. And for the true child of God, Christ does love us unconditionally. Yet we have this obligation, this responsibility. I like to think of it. We've been given the ability now to respond. We were dead in our sin and trespasses, unable to do a thing. Now he's made us alive in Christ. Now we have that ability to respond in him. So, in our being kept by Christ and keeping ourselves in the love of God, Jude exhorts his readers now to wait anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And I, I'm sadly having to skim the surface here, so I hope this may stir you to go back and dig into this more. But anyway, what he's saying here, waiting anxiously for the mercy of, of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, this is a, an eschatological waiting and it's, it has a focus in it of waiting on the glory that's going to be revealed when Christ returns. But it seemed, I don't know, a little odd, different that Jude would speak of needing mercy here. Why not justice? But what he's, he's indicating here, that grace, which includes mercy, is the basis upon which all the believers receive our eternal life, And it's also the reason he's teaching these readers to remain in God's love until the end and avoid apostasy in this teaching. We're not going to be perfect in this world or in any church. Told Peggy as we were looking for a church before, Lord led us here. It's like any church I walk into is going to immediately be imperfect. So let's put that aside. We're not going to find that. But we will all still need Christ's mercy on the last day, meaning that we can't attempt to remain in God's love and also allow ourselves to be heavily influenced by the world. This applies both to us personally and especially as the joined body of Christ, as the ecclesia, as those called out of the world and unto God in the church and those being sanctified, those being made holy and set apart to God, we must guard ourselves against these worldly influences in whatever form, like those Paul describes in in Ephesians 2, 2 through 3. Because even these will come along, creep along inside our lives and into the body and have destructive influences and cause division, much like these teachers. And this influences, this can influence and destroy not only our teaching, our content and style of worship, the purpose of our fellowships, and even our attempts are enabling to edify and and help and correct our brothers and sisters. 
So I'm not going to have time to do this, <laughs> this rest. But um, just real briefly, verses 20 and 21, so this is one of those step back moments. What, what is Jude really talking about here? In, in summary, it's a kind of hinted on it already, but th- this is really our, our sanctification. This is the work of God that he started, Ephesians 2. This is what he began in us. This is how we continue it. Building up ourselves upon the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and keeping ourselves in the love of God. Because if we're doing this individually, the church itself is going to thrive. It's going to grow. You know, we're, the kingdom of God's going to be advanced. It's got to be a reality, an experiential, experimental reality of Christ every day in the believer. You see, all my fingers are pointing back at me. <laughs> this, this is true. You know, this, this is what we have been called to by God. It's glorious. Anyway, like I said, I got a whole page here I can't go into. Anyway, um, now we'll come to what, what I've, I see as what, what's been explained by those minds much greater than mine is, is now the, the application, the outflow of what Jude is, is, has been exhorting the believers themselves to do. Now as a result of that, what's going to happen? How's this going to look like? What's this going to look like? And he says, you know, back in 17 to 19, the apostles predicted these intruders would arrive and their presence shouldn't surprise you. It's not going to threaten or destroy the faith that's been handed down. There's nothing that's going to destroy the gospel of Christ. And in 20 and 21, he gives a very powerful exhortation to these saints. And it was not to attack these intruders, but to be attentive and diligent about their relationship with Christ, keeping and remaining in God's love. And now in verses 22 and 23, he says, And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And here, Jude, we have another triad of application inside a triad of exhortation. I mean, I just love his intentional triads here. Um, (laughs) This application should be the direct outflow, as I said, from the life of Christ, the Spirit abiding in the children of God. Because first, there are those who are wavering under the influence of these false teachers, having doubts, struggling with what they believe, what was now being shared by these false teachers, what they saw in their lives. And what Jude is calling for is these beloveds to show them the same mercy that had been shown to them by Christ, that they, sh- they can, they should be reclaimed by the truth of God. We should be willing and, and wanting to help those that we know are being led astray, hearing things and believing certain things. Second, there are those who are very close to being wrapped up in the net of perversion. They were being drawn or already drawn into the teaching, possibly even the behavior and the lifestyle of the intruders. Jude doesn't tell us to the extent, but he uses harpazo, which means to seize or to snatch quickly out of a fire. This gives us a good indication of just how deep or consumed they were. And Jude's encouraging the beloved who are strong to show mercy, to rescue by all means, aid the restoration of those to a relationship in Christ. The last group are even deeper and more heavily influenced and possibly 
Jude even maybe even included some of the intruders in this category. And as believers, we should always show mercy on those who are deeply ensnared in sin, such as some of you were, remember? Jude did not say to keep your distance, to abhor, despise, and judge, and criticize, but with a merciful rescue, fearing even the possibility of being contaminated ourselves or themselves, but to maintain a hatred for the sin itself that had stained these people, that, are, that is literally torturing these people now, sending them to only by God's grace, not apostasy. And this picture, I think, is intended to shock us, to help us to reveal just how polluting and corrupting sin is and how severe God's position is towards, towards it to judge it so powerfully. If we remember those 12 verses last week. <clears throat> and we must be aware in this instance as believers that, our, that our, lest our mercy is transposed into some acceptance or sentimentality that we don't become defiled by any sin of those who we're willing or trying or attempting to rescue. It's much, much prayer is necessary in situations like these. Much keeping ourselves in the love of the Father. Any questions? Yes. So some of these that we're to have mercy on are those who did not know Jesus' voice, right? They were Potentially. That were being it could be true believers who are starting to lean that way and think, well, maybe they have something here. I, I kind of like doing what they do. I want to go hang out with them. And they get drawn in further and further into the perversion and the the lies so we, we aren't given a clear picture but the key is mercy where to go after him you know yes that's a focus on the sin itself what it's what it's done to that person to their body whatever it may be I and mean, we have multiple examples these days from sexual immorality, drug use, alcoholism. So you don't look at that brother and say, you know, I'm not going to go in and eat this mess. I'm, I'm done with it. No. You don't look at him that way. You have compassion to realize that you do at some time. God can still call out of darkness, right. you know. That's, I appreciate Ryan's exhortation several times about we don't give up witnessing, man, till, till Christ comes. You know, even if they say, we continue going after them, especially then say, but if it's a brother and sister, how much more should we go after them? Should we have mercy on them? Now, if, if you know, you get into a Matthew 18 situation to where they absolutely don't want to hear it with you coming to them or another brother and you coming and another church, <coughs> then the decision has to be made at that point. But... Jude's saying here, just those that you may know have been affected by false teaching or, or polluted in any way by another lifestyle, go after them. Have mercy on them. The love of Christ that's been shed abroad in your heart, express it in going after that brother or sister. Somebody else? Oh, so yeah. Like, I guess, how do you reconcile that with, like, like you said, um, Wow. 
we'll have to talk offline on that one, man. I've, I've, I've raised that. In fact, Russell and Ryan and I were talking about the other night is where, where is that line? But I think that instance is talking about, and Chris, step in here if I'm, I think that's talking about the world, the unsaved. I think here Jude is specifically talking about a church who's been influenced by this teaching, by these lies and this lifestyle, and we see those members of that body being drawn away, go after them, you know. That's, that's definitely not a, a pig going after pearls, you know. Just one closing comment I want to make here, um, kind of what I hinted at earlier that I was going to get to before we read the doxology together. Um, we shouldn't be surprised when and if, probably not if, but when people enter our body who may teach lives, lies or live lies or both, it's going to happen. Just as that prophecy was fulfilled there, it's going to happen here. Um, but we should be on our guard for this. And Jude in Scripture is not saying that we should become so critical and suspicious that we begin probing into everybody's life and pouncing on anything that we find off-center a little bit theologically, okay? Remember Priscilla and Aquila, how they helped Apollos, you know? Bold speaker, man, he could preach, but he was off a little bit, so hey, let's go over here, let's talk about this, you know, in love. I think we need to be careful of that, but we can't be naive in assuming that anyone has, because they've made a profession of faith, that they've attended church for a while or even may even be in a position of leadership. I was an unsaved deacon in a church, so, you know, no one's above reproach. But, so I appreciate it here. We, we walk with them a while. We get to know them. We share things. Find out where they are spiritually. Membership classes is a wonderful thing. So, just a, just a comment. Not to be so naive, but not, not be excessively reformed and critical of every little detail of somebody's lives, because, like I said, none of us are perfect. Okay. Now we have probably the one of them, I think, my personal opinion, most beautiful, longest doxologies in the New Testament. And it wonderfully ascribes the glory to God and all the work that he's done for us. But it also confirms to us that, that source of power in our sanctification, our, our edification, where and how we're going to be built up, and that ultimate glory that we're going to visibly experience in Christ's presence, where faith will no longer be needed. So if you would, stand with me. I want to read these last two verses together just to close and to prepare us for worship. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thank you. Let's go worship.